The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I want you to imagine that you are a soldier in a war. You've been sent to a a jungle island to to fight and, and navigate away from the enemy, to hide from the enemy. And while you're fighting, unbeknownst to you, the war ends, but nobody tells you. That is actually very similar to the story of an actual soldier who fought for the Japanese in World War II. The guy's name is Hiro Onodo. And in 1944, he was commissioned to go to the the island in the Philippines called Lubang. And he was sent there as an intelligence officer. And he was told, um, do not get captured, stay alive, and get as much information about the enemy as you possibly can. So he and a couple of the other soldiers who were commissioned with that particular mission, they dug in in the jungle. And, um, and in early 1945, the Japanese presence retreated out of that island. And towards as the year went on, 1945, Japan uh, surrendered and the war came to a close. But meanwhile, Hito and a couple of the other soldiers in his band were in the jungles And the only way they were notified that the war was over is that a plane was flying over the jungle, dropping these pamphlets in Japanese. And so they would pick up these pamphlets and they'd read them. And as they're reading what has been translated into Japanese, they noted some errors in the Japanese, which made them suspicious. And so they concluded that this was propaganda from the Americans and that the war had not really ended. So they dug in in the jungle And they survived month after month, year after year, on predominantly coconut water, bananas, and anything they could steal from the surrounding villages. After a couple years, all of the other soldiers that Hito was with were either killed or captured or surrendered, surrendered, and he was left by himself, and it was already 1950, five years later. It wasn't until 1974, nearly 29 years after the war had ended, that a student from Japan had heard legend that Hiro Onodo was still wandering around. He'd been presumed dead, but there was legend that he was still surviving in the jungles of this island in the Philippines. He went into the jungle, found him alive, told him, the war is over. Why haven't you surrendered? Why haven't you given up? We're, we're waiting for you to come back home. Your country knows that, that you're still alive or has heard rumor that you're still alive. And he said, I was given orders to not get captured and to stay alive. So until I hear another order from a commanding officer, I will never surrender. The student goes back to Japan. He tells some authorities they have to hunt down who his commanding officer had been. The guy had long since retired. He was a book salesman. And they took him and a couple other authorities from Japan. They went to that island in the Philippines. And Hiro Onodo was faced with his commanding officer who told him he could finally stand down and surrender. And in a moment that was widely televised in the mid-70s, Hiro Onodo surrenders his sword to the president of the Philippines. Actually, here's a picture. Surrenders his sword 
to the president of the Philippines, who then gives it back to him and pardons him for all of the war crimes, that he, all the crimes he had done during what he thought was wartime over the last nearly 30 years. He flies home to Japan. He finds a culture that he doesn't even recognize, skyscrapers that never existed before, a westernized Japan, and he comes face to face with his parents who are now elderly and his brother who he hasn't seen for, near, for three entire decades. He recently died at the age of 91 in Japan. Now, when you hear that story, I don't know about you, but that is an unbelievable story about someone's tenacity. I mean, it's hard not to hear that story about Hiro Onodo and not say, man, that guy, there is an inner engine and motor driving that guy for year after year, decade after decade to stand the line. I mean, that is, that's some, some inner fortitude that he has. I mean, it's hard not to admire someone with that kind of determination. At the same time, that story is a little bit of a tragedy as well. Because here's a guy who's fighting a war that has long since been over. There were, there were skirmishes between him and his men and some of the, the police in the surrounding villages. People died along that, during that time. There were things stolen from, villager, from villagers. He, not, not to mention, he suffered being away from his family for 30 years. All because he was still fighting a war that he didn't realize was over. Now, you hear an incredible story like that, and it sounds like, man, that is a, an unbelievable story. I mean, how often does something like that happen? But as strange as that sounds, each one of us are a little bit like Hido Onodo. There's a war that has long since been over, but inside there's part of us that are still fighting this same war, and we may not even realize we don't have to keep fighting. It's the war for approval. We're looking at a part of the Bible called 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app or you have your study guide with you, go ahead and pull out that so you can follow along in the scripture. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4. Now here's the background of what we're looking at. Thessalonians is actually a letter from Paul, the famous, sometimes called Apostle Paul or sometimes Saint Paul, he's the famous Paul and he's writing to a group of Christians in Thessalonica and so it's called Thessalonians. And here's what he says. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been now, what's that word right there? One more time. What's that word right there? Approved. Just making sure you're awake. Okay. Just as, you, as we have been a, approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. All right, I want to pick apart that second verse a little bit. I want you to follow the logic here. It's not, not very complicated. It's pretty simple, but it's really, really powerful. He says that they have been approved to be entrusted with the gospel. What does that mean, entrusted with the gospel? They are literally missionaries. That's what their job is. Paul, Silas, 
and Timothy, Paul's two companions. They are missionaries. They go from city to city sharing this message about Jesus, sharing that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again on the third day, and that if we put our faith in Jesus, we will spend eternity in heaven, that Jesus is the source of our salvation. They're taking this message of the gospel, this good news from city to city. They are missionaries. They've been entrusted with the gospel. But I want you to notice what it says first. It says, God has approved them to be entrusted with the gospel. In other words, this calling to be missionary, their task, their mission to share this message of the gospel, they have been called or approved by God. God started this. There's something God laid on their hearts. There were other uh, Christian brothers and sisters that affirmed that and said, yes, that is what your mission is. But it was started from God. And so follow this logic. They say, this, was, this mission was approved by God. So we speak whenever we share, whenever we try and accomplish this mission, we do this not to please man, but to please God. If God called us to this, then we can't then do what God called us to do to please human beings. We've got to do it to please God who called us. That makes sense, right? If God called us to do this, we have to live in such a way so as to please God. Now, if you track the life of Paul, you see him live up to this over and over again. He lives in a way that's sometimes very daring before man in order to please God. We've already talked about in this series how sometimes when he goes from city to city, he'll share this message of the gospel, and the response from people there is really negative. Some people will start following Jesus, but sometimes whole mobs kick him out of the city or do physical violence towards him, and yet he is still faithful to God, knowing that it's going to displease humans. There are times late in his life where he'll be arrested, he'll stand before rulers and kings, and still boldly proclaim what God has told him to proclaim, regardless of what the consequences are before man. But it's not just towards outsiders, even towards insiders. If you read some of his other letters to churches in, that are contained in the Bible, you'll see, man, there are times he's speaking to other Christians, and it's pretty bold. I mean, he's challenging them, he's pushing them, I mean, he's, sometimes he's, he's uh, correcting them, and there are times you see, wow, you're being really bold, but you're doing it, with gentleness and with love, you're, you're being faithful before God, even though it might displease man. Even one point when the Peter, the apostle Peter who followed Jesus so closely, this was a man that Paul would have revered. In fact, when Paul first became a Christian, he sought out Peter and some of these other disciples to spend time with them. And there was a time when he saw Peter doing something very off base from what they believed, and very publicly. And Paul had the, the boldness to speak out publicly to Peter, right to his face, which would have been something very intimidating to do, but he was living to please God, even if it displeased man. You see this often, and you say, okay, well, that's great. I mean, for someone like a missionary who's got this calling by God, then I can understand he's got this special calling from God, so he should aim to please God and not man. But before you go there mentally, I want you to take a look at what Paul said in the book of Romans to this church in Rome. Look at what he says. Let me read this to you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now check out what this says, because there's 
two uh, applications we walk away from when we read this verse. The first is any form of authority in our life, we have to, we have to accept that to some capacity, God has allowed them to be an authority. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a, a supervisor, a boss, a chief, to some degree, God has allowed them and he has some purpose that we couldn't possibly fully understand, but he has allowed them for a season to be in authority over us, and so we should respect that. On the flip side, it reveals something very interesting about each one of us. Whatever position of influence you've been placed in, God placed you there. Whatever kind of influence you have in your social group, in your family, in your neighborhood, at work, whatever, in the, the ministry team here at your church, whatever position of influence you have in whatever sphere, God placed you there so you actually have a calling on your life too. You have actually, there's a sense in which you, just like Paul, have been approved for the role that you're in. God has a purpose for you to accomplish in the sphere you've been placed in. So what does that mean? I want you to check out another passage he says in the book of Colossians to to the church in Colossae. So what does that mean? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever it is that you're tasked with, whatever it is that you're assigned, whatever it is that's going to be reviewed, whatever it is you're going going to be responsible for, do, do it with all of your heart as if God is the one that's going to review it. God is the one that's going to hold you accountable. God is the one watching over what you're doing. It's this, I, I show you this to show you the same formula for Paul is the same formula in your life. God has specifically called you to the exact position of influence. It doesn't matter what your, what your technical position is. You've been placed in that sphere that you're in by God for a purpose. So each one of us then, we need to live for God and not for men. Live to please God with an audience of one. He's the only one that matters. Live to please God, not to please man. Okay, you say, okay, got it. That's, that's simple enough, right? Makes sense? So I got that, of course. Live to please God, not to please man. Man, that's difficult. Living like not like a people pleaser? Man, that is a challenge. That is not an easy thing. Not too long ago, I was in a toy store with my little buddy, Nehemiah, my son. He's two years old. And um, he and I were looking at the cars he saw like a, you know, a, a little Lightning McQueen, a little Mater, okay, and we're looking at, at these various uh, little characters, and it was time to leave. And let's just say relinquishing Lightning McQueen was not an easy task, okay? And, and I'm just going to put it like this. It got uncharacteristically spirited. Okay, there was crying, foot stomping screaming, and Nehemiah was really upset also, okay? (laughs) Spirited moment, all right? And as I'm dealing with Nehemiah, I finally extract Lightning McQueen from his hands. Another parent walks by with a child of a similar age and says to their child loud enough for me to hear, I'm so glad you don't act like that in public. (laughs) 
All right. We'll see who's screaming when I fling Lightning McQueen at the back of your head. I would never do that. So I, I thought, sitting there thinking, looking at Nehemiah, now I'm mad at another human on this planet, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, why do I care? Like, why do I'll never see that person again, okay? Who, who cares what they think? I'm having, like, he, uh, this is my little buddy. We, he's, he's usually does so well. He's having a bad day, okay? And so, but I know that. I know who he is. I, I know who I am as a parent. I know what our house is like. Why do I care what they think? But I got to be honest. I still get a little mad about that when I think about it months later, okay? Being a people pleaser, man, that is a tough thing. It's tough to say, okay, I'm going to live only for what God thinks and not what people think. Man, that is not an easy thing to do, to do what God is, what we're called to do right here. Man, it takes courage. In fact, a few weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about this attribute of courage and how that's underneath every single other attribute of being an influencer or a leader. Courage is under each one. And if you remember, we talked about this idea of people-pleasing. And that at some point, there's going to be a decision that you're going to have to make, and the decision's going to get tough. And underneath the surface, without us realizing it, so often what happens is I'm no longer struggling with what's the right decision? Is it this or this? Sometimes without thinking, what I'm really struggling with is who am I willing to disappoint? I've actually stopped thinking about what's right and what's wrong. I'm distracted by if I make this decision, I can just see that they're going to be angry. If I make this decision, I can just see the criticism or the look of disapproval. And sometimes I bounce between a decision based on who am I going to disappoint rather than what's the right decision. Man, people-pleasing is difficult. But here's what we've been talking about in this, through this series and in this passage Christian, whatever sphere you've been placed in, you've been called to be a world changer. You've been called to be a spark to shift the culture. This is how this works. When Paul was going through Thessalonica, his enemies, when he's going through this town that he's writing back to the Christians who live in this town, when he went through there, his enemies pointed at Paul and his companions and said, these men who turned the world upside down are here. And they meant it as an accusation, but it was a great affirmation of what a Christian is supposed to do. Paul writes back to them and says, you are you're being imitators of us. Here's what we did. And so he's giving description of what they're doing. He's giving a description of the type of person that turns their world upside down. He's giving the description of the type of person that is a world changer. He's giving a description that he's telling us to emulate because each one of us in whatever sphere you've been placed in today are called to be a world changer in that sphere. And if we're going to be an influencer there, If we're going to speak into the social sphere that we're in and pull it a little bit into a better direction and influence it for good. If we're going to enter into the family that we're in and pull it towards godliness. If we're going to to insert ourselves into the the work environment, the work sphere that we're in and pull it towards justice and righteousness and pull it towards the gospel. If we're going to be an influencer to change the culture, to shift it upside down, to be a world changer, if we're going to step into there, we have to understand this principle of who is it that we are called to seek to please. Because at some point, what's going to collide is the decision. 
between am I going to please God or please man? Let me put it like this. this in, it's in your circle this in your study guide. Think of it like this. People pleasing is the same as abdicating leadership. People pleasing is the same as abdicating leadership. You say, well, what do you mean by that? People pleasing is the same as just surrendering leadership. It's the same as giving it up. It's the same as handing it over here. If I'm making this decision because I know it's going to make them happy, it's, it's going to make them approve of me, it's going to keep them from criticizing, if I'm making this because, because I know it's what they want, then I might as well hand them the decision to make. I've just handed leadership over to them. I've just handed the influence to that person. People-pleasing ultimately is surrendering. It's abdicating leadership altogether. And God has called you into that sphere to influence it. Let me put it a different way, more, more, more straightforward. You cannot lead effectively and be liked constantly. You cannot lead effectively and be liked constantly. There will come a point in time where as you're doing the right thing, you know it's going to push against those that you're leading. Whether it's your children, whether it's your employees, whether it's the, the ministry team that you're leading, no matter what sphere it is, whether it's your social group that you're trying to influence, you cannot lead effectively and be liked constantly. Let me put it like this. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, she was interviewed uh, many years after she was no longer the prime minister of England, and here's what she said very very pointedly, she says, if you set out to be liked, you would be prepared to compromise on anything at any time and you would achieve nothing. If you set out to be liked, this is so good, if you set out to be liked, then what that's going to require to always be liked is to be ready to say, oh, I have to compromise this to be liked, and I'm going to have to compromise this value and this truth and this decision. I'm going to have to compromise this and this to be liked. So be ready. The path to be constantly liked is the path of constant compromise. You cannot lead effectively, whether it's leading your children or leading the people you work with or leading the people in the ministry or leading the, the people in your, in your social sphere. You cannot lead effectively and be liked constantly. At some point, it's going to be difficult. At some point, you're going to have to decide, okay, who am I here to please? God has placed me in this role. He has a purpose for me. So who am I here to please? Am I here to please God or please man? Now, there's a couple ways that this practically works out in the different spheres that we're at, and I want to look at these. But before I do, I want to just take um, one just caveat for a second. There may be the temptation for some in here, for some of us to say, well, you know what, I, I, that's all true, but I really don't care what people think of me. I know, I know that, but I, I for one, I, I really, I, I'm one of those people, it doesn't matter, I, I, I don't care what, what people think of me. I, it's just not something that bothers me. Okay, let me just caution you if that's what you're processing through. Because from my experience, the more someone tries to insist to me that they don't care what people think of them, the more suspicious I'm getting. Because I'm starting to wonder, why do you care so much that I think that about you if you don't care what people think of you? 
you care that I think that you don't care what people think of you and you care about that so much that you're saying that to me and then my brain explodes, okay? The more someone insists, the more important it is for someone to say, no, it's important that other people think that I don't care what people think about me, I would just caution you because to some degree, everyone cares what people think about them to some degree. And this plays out in a couple different ways in our, in our lives, and I want to look at four of them. And here's the first one, and this is sometimes one of the most common ones. The first thing I would caution you as, first thing to be aware of, is don't surrender to invisible armies. You say, what do you mean? There will come a point in time when you're leading, whether it's as, no matter what sphere it's in, there'll come a point in time when you're leading that someone will try and intimidate you and sway you with an invisible army behind them. They'll say, well, everyone else thinks, and they're the only ones standing there. They've got all this invisible support. You say, well, what do you mean? This is very common. If you're a parent or you'll be a parent one day, or you're a grandparent. Be ready for this, and I bet you've already experienced this. At some point, your child, probably in their teenage years, will come to you and say, Mom, everybody's parent is letting them. They're standing there arguing that with an invisible army of all of these shocked and appalled parents. All, every parent in history, apparently, shaking their head like, what an awful parent you are. You're not letting them go. I can't believe that. And your child is standing there with an invisible army behind them. And sometimes the people-pleasing rears up, and we want to get intimidated by an army that's not even there. Your child has not pulled every parent in Broward and Dade County, okay? It's an invisible army. But how about this one? You've recently started following Christ and you're, you're shifting some of the way you're, you're, how your, your life is, is playing out. You're doing things a little bit different and the people in your social group are starting to notice and, they, and they're not sure about these changes and how you're living. You don't do the same things you used to do with them and so one of them doesn't like it and so they come up to you and, and they say this, everyone thinks you've changed. Everyone thinks you're completely different. No one likes the, this new way that you are. And they've just come to you, just them, and they're not confident enough in what they're saying, so they bring an invisible army with them. Don't surrender to that. That's an invisible army. How about when you're making a decision or you're passing down a decision to the team that you lead, whether it's at church or it's at the branch that you're in charge of or the department or the organization or the company and someone disgruntled comes to you and says, everyone thinks that's a bad decision. No one likes this new direction that we're going to. Don't surrender to an invisible army. That's trying to play on your people pleasing and ultimately you respond to one person. It's to God. In fact, what they've revealed to you at that point is that they have spread division and dissension to other people, and now that's giving you something to address with them as to why they've been spreading their negative opinion to other people. Don't surrender to invisible armies is number one. Here's number two. Don't become a lone ranger. Just because we're supposed to please God and not please man doesn't mean that we go into our cave and hear from God and make decisions in isolation. Sometimes 
discerning how God wants to lead you through, that requires seeking counsel. That's a biblical thing. It requires raising up leaders around you. Just because you're saying, I'm here to please God and not man, doesn't mean that I isolate myself and make decisions all by myself. It doesn't mean that I avoid raising up a team around me or relying on the people around me. If you're a parent, whether maybe you, you have a blended family, God has paired you with a spouse that he intends for you to rely on. This is not a scenario where you say, well, I live to please God, not someone else, so I'm going to decide the right way to parent and come out and do this all by myself. No, rely on the person he's put you with. Not that they're going to be always right, but he's designed for you to hear from them. He wants you to hear from wise counsel. That's not people-pleasing, that's being wise. How about in your social sphere? If you're uh, dating someone right now, there may not be another moment in your life where you need to rely on wise counsel more than if you're dating someone. Because even though you feel, you feel so strongly, it's exactly because you feel so strongly that you need to hear outside unbiased counsel into what you're experiencing because you have to be able to admit yourself, I am, I am so emotional in this, my judgment is going to be clouded. So this is, it's not people-pleasing to step out and say, God, would you speak through the wise counselors around me? Not just the people who are going to say what I want to hear, but people who are going to say what I need to hear. That's part of living for pleasing God. Living to please God does not mean I become a lone ranger. It, it means building a team in your work sphere, building a team that you can rely on. That's a godly, biblical thing of building up other people around and delegating not just tasks, but authority. There's a... It, there's a, pr a practical behind this, um, a leader named Lee Iacocca, he's famous for saying this, I hire people brighter than me and then get out of their way. Raise up people around you. Have the humility to say it's not people-pleasing to develop a team and to heed wise counsel and to build people up around me. Saying that I live to please God, not to please man, does not mean I become a lone ranger. The third thing, don't surrender to invisible armies. Don't become a lone ranger. And thirdly, don't become a steamroller. Just because I live to please God and not please man doesn't mean that I can then, I don't care how I speak and communicate and handle the people around me. That's not godly. Of course I live to please God, but here's what pleases God. Handling people with dignity, respect, honor, grace, patience, love, selflessness, humility. And sometimes there can be this attitude of, well, I don't live around here to, to please all these people. And so it, I, I feel like then sometimes I can steamroll them because I, don't, I live not to please them but to please God. No, what pleases God is to treat the people around me with dignity and honor. And here's the fourth one, and I want to sit on this one for a second. The last one is this. Don't surrender to invisible armies. Don't become a lone ranger. Don't become a steamroller. And don't seek the approval of ghosts. What do you mean by that? Well, we all have ghosts in our lives. Metaphorically speaking, we all have these people that have put their imprint on our lives. Some for good and for bad. 
For good, there's mentors, mentors, coaches, instructors, former leaders, parents. There's people that we, that we know positively influenced us and they've left their mark on us. And so sometimes we, can, we still want to live up to wanting to, for their expectation that they had and we can be faced with a decision and they may be long gone, long out of our life or they may not even be alive anymore but we still think of them in our life and we still are making decisions and we, we're still saying, you know, what would that person think was a good decision? And, and sometimes that's not a bad filter to kind of run it through, but in the end, what can happen is I'm actually still living for that person's approval. But sometimes there's negative influences that have imprinted on our life and we're people-pleasing for someone who's no longer around. There's someone that told us some hurtful things well, you'll never, you'll never be successful. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never accomplish that. You'll always just be a parent, an ex, someone that has left a negative imprint. And sometimes what can happen is that ghost still haunts us in our life and we're making decisions really to prove them wrong or to finally get the approval that we never got from them even though they're a ghost and cannot actually give us any approval. And so sometimes we're about to make a decision and we see their disapproving face shaking their head. We're about to, to make a call, about to do something, and yet we can still hear the lecture in our minds and we're still fighting off that. And what is really happening under the surface is we're, we're actually seeking to please a person over God that's not even really still in our lives. We're seeking approval from a ghost. See, there's this battle that each one of us has. See, underneath people-pleasing is a battle it's a war. People-pleasing is really just gauging my approval ratings. Will they like this decision? Will they be critical of this decision? Which is the easier between the two? And I can just be tossed and turned back and forth, exhausted by the constant war, seeking to still find approval. But that war, Christian... That war is over. A few years ago, a few years back, the BBC went to Japan to do a video interview of Hiro Onodo. And many decades later, they, he was late in his life, they wanted to interview him and find out what was happening inside that kept him fighting the same war almost 30 years after it was over. And I want you to hear in his own words what kept him fighting this war? Check out this video. To become a prisoner is the worst thing possible. You will be criticized for the rest of your life and you will be ostracized from your community. Japan could be described as a culture based on shame. I think this helped a society with so many people in such a small space. On Lubang, I didn't want to be seen as a failure. I was chosen to carry out a certain mission, and that in itself was a source of pride. 
I didn't want people to think I looked heroic but couldn't achieve anything. interesting way he described the Japanese culture he said just according to him it's built on shame he and he felt this inner drive he didn't want to come back and having having disappointed anyone he didn't want them to think that he was a failure and there's a great irony in, in that that kept him going for 29 years but there's a great irony because that's a, a picture also of what approval is there's a constant war going on inside of trying to earn the approval of the people around you, the personalities around you, the people in our past, constantly trying to win their approval. But Christian, there's something that you have to hear. That war is over. You don't have shame following you. There's someone who took your shame, Christian. Jesus, the Son of God, dies on the cross for you. He takes your shame on Himself. He pays for your shame. He takes all of your sin, past, present, and future, and He separates it as far from you as far as the east is from the west, and He rises again from the dead saying, you will now spend eternity with God when you die. See, when we look at that cross, Christian, do you know what you see? As you see a, a blood-stained blood brow of your Savior, Christian, do you know what you see? You see how much God loves you. You see that the God of the universe who invented every planet, every solar system, every galaxy in the universe, he keeps tab on every single particle, knows who you are, knows your name, and paid the ultimate price for you suffered and died for you. And he says, I declare you approved. I declare that I love you. Nothing can separate you from my love. There is no condemnation for someone who is in Christ Jesus. Christian, do you realize that war for approval ended 2,000 years ago when Jesus looked up to the sky and he says, it is finished. War is over. And so as you're going through your life and you're inside deep down maybe in recesses that you haven't accessed yet and you're deep down saying, I just wish there was some voice. If someone could say, man, good job. You're, you're in the right spot. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're in here. Uh, you, thank you for being the parent that you are, the spouse that you are. Thank you for being the leader that you are, the worker that you are, the student that you are, and you're just looking for someone to approve you. Can I tell you, the God of the universe looks down and says, approved. And one day when you are entering into heaven and you're entering into the arms of your Savior, he will whisper in your ear, well done, good and faithful servant. The war is over, Christian. You have the approval of the only one that matters. Almighty God. And it's not from anything that you've done. He's loved us in the midst of our sin. He loves us in the midst of our perfection. He loves us because of Jesus Christ. He loves us, he loves us so much He gave His Son to die for us. So when you walk out of here today, Christian, you walk out of here as a beloved child of God. 
Walk out of here being reminded that the God of the universe is saying the one thing that you can barely comprehend is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of my love for you. If I were to fill up earth as high as the heavens are above the earth is so great, my love for you, you're approved. I love you. I place you right where you're at. Don't let anyone doubt you. Don't let anyone doubt that. Live for me, he says. Can we just take a quiet moment between us and the Lord? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Christian, I want to ask you a question. No, no one's looking around. It's just a quiet moment between you and God. Let's make today a turning point where you say, I'm going to surrender because that battle is over. The battle for approval is over. I, I, I'm surrendered. And if you say, you know what, I've still been fighting that battle. You're a Christian and you say, like, I've been still fighting that battle to get approval for someone else, but I need to surrender that today. So that this is a day where you'll remember that you surrendered that. What I want to ask you to do is just slip your hand in the air and put it back down. Amen. Amen. See it. You're a Christian. You say, today is the day I'm, I'm surrendering approval. I want you to pray for me. You're a Christian, you say, that's, that's me, I, I'm making that statement today. Just slip your hand in the air and put, put it back down. Amen, praise God, praise God. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I just need to surrender my life to God. I've been running from God, but I, I wanna know for sure that I'm saved today. Today is the day I wanna put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Say, so I'm ready experience the love and forgiveness of God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand in the air? I want to lead you in a, in a quiet prayer. If that's you, just slip your hand in the air and put it back down. Say, today is the day I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to experience his love and forgiveness. Just put your hand in the air and put it back down. Amen. If that's you, I want to lead you in this quiet prayer. Just there in your seat, say, God, quietly in your heart, if you're putting your faith in Jesus, say, God, thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you that you loved me even while I was unlovable. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.